mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work, episode 65 of the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective, powered by Audio Technica. That's right. This is the second interview from my weekend at Supernova Expo. But before we get to the guest, the iTunes review of the week goes to Haggard MC, who says, questions are great and a really strong interview to launch with. Keep them coming. That's an old one. Thank you so much. And this week's guest, it's Luke Boynton from the Sons of Obi-Wan Saber Academy. What is that? Well, it's basically a lightsaber dueling training program. It's technically theater combat. They'll teach you how to duel with a lightsaber. But really what it's doing is fulfilling the Star Wars fantasies of many men, women, and children all over the world. These guys are a small business out of Tagara, I believe it's pronounced in New South Wales. Sorry if I've, I've butchered that pronunciation. But Luke has taken this company that he started a few years ago and grown it to the point where he's being invited to conventions all over the world, not just at Supernova, but Star Wars Celebration over in the US and other conventions all over the place. So that's pretty cool. And as we talk about in this interview, it's really just a great thing to see at a convention, an actual activity, not just something to look at or purchase, like a lot of what you see there. After this interview, I filmed a segment with my friend Jack Cruz for 8-Bit, which is actually Jack learning a few of the basic moves from Luke. So you can check that out over at youtube.com slash we are 8-Bit, A-T-E-B-I-T. Have a laugh at Jack's moves. He thinks he's pretty good. You can judge that yourself, but it was a lot of fun. The Sons of Obi-Wan and Saber Academy actually started as like a special needs program and it's extended to basically birthdays, bar mitzvahs, corporate events, all kinds of things like this. Just designed as something fun for anyone that really has a desire to pick up a saber and swing it around and pretend that they're a Jedi or maybe a Sith. Nah, they're all Jedis. So here's Luke to talk about this company, how it came together, how it got so big and what they're all about. Enjoy the show. Thank you for taking some time for me, first of all. Pleasure. Having a good day? Yeah, man, it's good. Like, I've, this is our second Melbourne, so we, we're sort of doing all of them now this year except Perth, so it's good fun, man. Yeah, yeah I'm thoroughly enjoying it. How long have you been involved with Supernova? Uh, we've been working with them for probably about the last year and a half. Like, yeah. this is, I, this year Sydney's my 18th Supernova, so I've been doing Supernova since I was... 400 guys, you know, with comic long boxes out the back of Sydney type thing. So I'm a big fan of Supernova. I really love how they work. It's a, it's a big family business and I like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, you've probably seen your own company grow with an event like this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, Supernova have been really, really good to us. You know, they uh, understand the importance of having activities at a con. Like, I've heard, you know, cons were starting to feel like big nerd shopping centres, <laughs> you know, where there's just a heap of pop vinyls and that's yeah. about it. So... It's really cool to see conventions that are providing space for people to do interesting activities and they help support our business and take us around Australia to meet people. It's wonderful. So let's go back and maybe talk about the origin of your company. So yeah. I'm guessing you grew up as a Star Wars fan. Mad Star Wars fan. Uh, I was a behavioural learning support teacher for six years in the New South Wales school system. I loved the kids, loved the teaching, hated the system. I was looking for a way to teach life skills to kids. Um, I wanted my Star Wars stuff to be tax deductible, <laughs> so uh, I came up with the idea and then I got an inheritance from my mum and just started the business. I was expecting it to be like a three day a week nerdy karate school yeah. and it's just blown up and now we do special needs work. We became an NDIS provider last yeah. week, so we're starting to really, we've worked with special needs before now, but having the NDIS number allows us to really hook in and help a lot of people. 
Uh, we're a touring company. We make lightsabers. It's just gone nuts. We do corporate work, birthdays, parties, bar mitzvahs, weddings, everything. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Parents want their kids to do something that's not boring for them, like not like a clown or something. It's something that they're engaged with as well. And well, it's fun because they learn something they couldn't do before, you know, yeah. like even at a birthday party, they'll learn proper technique, they'll learn some strikes and some spins so they can go away and next time they're at, you know, a friend's house, they can actually show someone how to fight properly as opposed to just wave flailing yeah. madly, yeah. Did you have a martial arts or any kind of fighting background? Yeah, I've done 15 years of martial arts across five different uh, styles. I've done Aikido, Hapkido, Ninjutsu, and a Screamer and Balintawak, which is Filipino stick fighting. And our head instructor here, Chad, who's lurking suspiciously behind me, uh, he has done every martial art under the sun. He used to be a professional knight. He used to tour around America doing jousting and sword fighting and that sort of thing. And he's also ex-Army Special Forces in the States as well. So we've got a good concrete martial arts background. So how do you bring that with the Star Wars flavor? Is there any way that you kind of adjust it to make it more authentic? So what we do is theatre combat. It's not it's not a martial art. So you know the whole point of yeah. martial art is to kill someone. Theatre combat <laughs> is not to kill someone. And like yeah, that's it. We like to do very realistic fighting. I mean, and, you know, we don't do a lot of the like we we do a lot of movement and spins and stuff. But it's got a very martial background. It's a very gritty style of fighting, which is something that isn't really sort of done much around in the Star Wars stuff, which is great. You know, it's just about making people look cool and learning a skill that they've never done before and, and it's great for building self-esteem you know because it's something like our whole credo is embrace the suck okay the lesson everyone has to learn is they suck because if you don't suck you don't learn you know people these days expect to be able to do something in five minutes so that's the first life skill you learn if you don't suck you don't learn and every time you do something new you suck again and that's brilliant for self-esteem and getting people comfortable with themselves and doing interesting things yeah so what were the steps that you took to grow it from something that you were doing as you envisioned like three days a week into a, a full-time gig honestly i just stumbled like a drunk from one thing to the next it's just it just snowballed on its own we opened six months before episode seven came out okay so when episode seven came out a lot of press wanted to do a story on star wars and there's two stories you can do this is my star wars collection you know i have a whole house full of lucasfilm yeah. stuff or I'm a dentist and a Wookiee on weekends. So the fact that it had that special needs angle was big. So we did all the TV stations, all the radio stations. We did, uh, we had a Huffington Post story that had four and a half million views, an Al Jazeera story that had a million views. And it just snowballed from there and people just kept popping up and asking us to do stuff. And we say yes to everything. And it just snowballed. Like, it wasn't planned. You know, like, I was literally thought I'd do two conventions a year. Last year, we did 25. Wow. And we're up for 12 or 13 this year already. So it just sort of happened. It was just right place, right time. Yeah. yeah. And that's pretty quick as well. Oh, absolutely. It must have been a pretty crazy thing the first time an international convention invited you to be part of what they were doing overseas. Yeah, so uh, we, we went over to um, Star Wars Celebration, which was really cool. We're hoping to, we're hopefully going again this year and doing lessons. So that was really cool. It was a good way to present ourselves. Like a lot of, we have a lot of international followers, so it was good to actually meet yeah. a lot of the people that we, you know, uh, that have been following us. Um, it was really cool. Like the convention things really surprised me, especially um, regional conventions are really big now because once they build a skate park, they've got nothing to build, like spend their youth money yeah. on. 
So the regionals have been fun. International, I'd really like to go to San Diego one day and that sort of thing. But yeah. celebrations the next one. There should be an announcement May fourth, I think. Awesome. I yeah. think it'll be Anaheim. So. That sounds right, right. So what do you think it is that gives a group like you guys a following when you haven't been somewhere yet? I think it's a special needs work that catches people initially. The beauty of this business is we're giving, we're fulfilling dreams. You know what I mean? If you're a Star Wars fan, you've always wanted to swing a saber and. The beauty of, of theatre combat is that everyone sucks equally. You know, it's like, you know, when you play soccer, there's always that one dude that played state and runs rings yeah. around everyone. So it's something that people feel they can't do when they start. And then they see that we can show people. And I think that's what grabs them because like, oh, cool, like I can do that as well. I think that's what really grabs people. Yeah. That's cool. And I guess even from some of the stuff I've seen, like, even like Star Wars is its own form of entertainment in some ways. Like there's like comics, TV, movies, yep. Star Wars. So it grabs so many people that even celebrities would probably get a kick out of doing some of the stuff that you're doing here. You've had to, a chance to work with a lot of these people. Yeah, yeah. So we've um, we're actually going to have a beginning evening. Daniel Newman from Walking Dead's coming up. That's yeah. who I thought was coming up before, okay. coming to do a lesson. Um, they just love it. We actually, my favourite was um, Graham McTavish, who's in Outlander, and he plays um, the Saint of Killers in uh, Preacher, and he was oh, in yeah. The Hobbit. He was the Dwarven in The Hobbit, I think. There's a lot of secret Star Wars fans. Millie Bobby Brown was another yeah. one. She lost her stuff when she saw it. You know, it's really cool because the beauty of Star Wars, everyone becomes a kid. Again, everyone gets that rush that they had when they were a kid, and it's yeah, it's really cool, like seeing them. Guys, celebs tend to be very sort of like, this is my celeb face and this is what I'm doing. And it's really good to see them go and lose it and be themselves for five minutes. It's excellent, man. Yeah, Yeah. I think it it makes everyone a kid again in some ways. Absolutely, man. You know, because everyone's wanted to swing a saber at some point, you know, and we get to give people that opportunity and walk away feeling like they can do something cool and look like they can do something that's in the movies. Are there any issues with licensing and that kind of thing? And um, I was very careful to make sure I didn't upset our great mouse overlord. <laughs> no, no, we haven't had any problems. We've done some work with some of the guys in the industry now, so it's all right. I was terrified for the first year because if I got a cease and desist, I'd just have to close up and walk away, yeah. you know. Um, but I think we're at the point now where, like, we've started working with some of the guys in that industry, so that's... I think we're going to be okay. I hope we're going to be okay. But, like, we made sure that we don't make movie replica sabers. You know, we make our own designs that are built for combat. I made sure that the logo, we made Obi-Wan one word. You know what I mean? So I gave them the best possible chance not to sue us. Yeah. And so far, touch wood, it's worked. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's one of those things people probably don't think about uh, when they just... My greatest fear, dude. Like, um... (laughs) We have helped Disney Australia a couple of times. Disney Channel, we did uh, their 40th anniversary um, special and helped them with an advertising campaign. First time I got the email from Disney, I was like, that's it, time to go home, we're done. We had a good run. And it's like, oh, okay, okay, it's positive. So it was scary, but yeah, as I said, I think we should be okay now. I hope so, yeah. Yeah, cool. What would you say has been the hardest part of building it to this point? Getting people to take me seriously. When I started off, you know, you'd walk in and they go, oh, I want to rent a place. I'd like to rent this place. Oh, great. What are you doing? Lightsaber Combat School. Oh, I'll pay you up front. Oh, okay. Like, that was really, it was really, it cost me about $200,000 to get started because I had to pay everything up front because no one, like, it seemed really fri- frivolous. But 
they didn't know my special needs background and didn't know the actual purpose of the business. It's better now because people know who we are and what we do, but that was, we were the first lightsaber company to be insured by Lloyds of London, okay. you know, which is the same company that insured James Cook's, I'm, I'm an old history teacher, so same company that, that insured James Cook's trip out, so that gave me a bit of a well. buzz, yeah. yeah. But that's that's been the hardest bit is people taking us seriously. Now, now we know what we're doing and everyone knows what we're doing, it's great, but... Yeah, everyone just thought I was an idiot, including my girlfriend that I started, you know, so... So were there steps that you had to take to show that you were serious? Like, in terms of, I guess, maybe having a website that was really professional, or was there anything like that? It's just working at the coalface, man. Yeah. You know, like, I do everything myself. I do all the website, all the social media. Like, we're a volunteer organisation. We don't have cash, you know, so... But it was just working with people. It's I'm a big believer in organic growth and doing it old school. Like I'm 43 and I used to. I've been a DJ for 27 years, so I'm an old pre-internet uh, promoter. Yeah. You know, and you can't be just feet on the ground meeting people. That's why we travel Australia. You know, the best way to get people interested in what you do is to meet them face to face and show them. You know, it's a bit of an uncool thing in this day and age, but. Just organic growth, man. Just yeah. you know, just meeting people, seeing what we do. They get behind it. They tell friends. Word of mouth, old school. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. And I guess it's kind of that combination of word of mouth and the internet is that people will use the internet as their word of mouth. Correct. Well. Yeah, like you we're know, sitting here face to face, and then I'm going to put this on the internet. So that's it. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're, they're like press is amazing. You're about a hundred forty-sixth interview I've done in two years. Yeah. So well, I used to be a radio DJ as well, so it's fine. Yeah. But I mean, the press stuff has been the press stuff is what's gotten us overseas. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, what would be your advice to anyone that wants to, whether it's just start a, a quirky business or start any business? I guess there's probably a lot of principles that can apply to everyone. Do it. Okay, the the, the first steps are always the hardest. You know, making that commitment. If you research. Like there was a year and a half's research in this before I started, you know, um, working out, like I'd never done, I'd done martial arts, I'd never done theatre combat before, so finding an audience, seeing if there was an audience out there, researching the Sabre community, that sort of stuff, know, know who you are, know your product, have a unified idea of what you want to do, because the problem is you'll go to someone, so what's your business, and they can't articulate that, so you've got to really know what you're doing and, and who you are before you start and just do it man. you know like it's it's a terrifying thing to do I mean it's been amazing to do it but it's still absolutely terrifying as well because you're stepping out into the unknown you know have faith in yourself if you know your product's good whatever it is just do it was there a transition period where you were still teaching or whatever you were doing before directly before or did you no, say- I just bit the bullet and went Wow. Yeah, I mean, it helped I had the inheritance, like, yeah. you know, the beauty of this is we don't have any loans or anything, like, I made sure I was in a financial position so that if it didn't work, at least I wouldn't owe anyone anything, sure. you know, like, this is a very much a, a Kickstarter generation where it's like, yeah, 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 we'll, you know, we'll get all the money and we'll do it and it'll be great, but uh, when... Just as I started the business was when Sabre Combat went mainstream, right? And a lot of these Sabre companies would sit there and go, oh, we'll do a Kickstarter, we're expecting to make $100,000 and they would make $1.8 million. So then they're not prepared for that and it puts them on the back foot and it destroys themselves. I just made sure I was in a financial position where 
I wasn't going to, because I didn't want to go out, like if I got a $200,000 business loan and it didn't work, I would have been stuck. You know, so at least this way I'm losing my money. I mean, you know, the family wouldn't be happy, but at least I'm not owing anyone. Yeah. Okay, that's good. And last question, if you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? This? Yeah. This is, look, man, I've been really lucky. I've had some cool jobs in my life. I always made sure my whole family spent their whole lives doing what they had to do, not what they wanted to do, and they were miserable because of it, you know? So this is this is great, man. I get to help people every day. I still get to teach, you know? We get to go all around. I get to travel all around Australia and see parts of Australia I've never seen before. This is this is great, man. Like, I've been a DJ. I've been a professional model builder. I've been a school teacher. You know, I've had cool jobs, but this is the most fulfilling job I've ever done. I love teaching, but I was always constrained and it was a frustration thing. Yeah, it seems a lot of teachers feel that. Dude, it's the school system's criminal, you know, like it's, dude, I could do a whole podcast on that, you know, it's everyone's so concerned with how a school looks with NAPLAN and they don't think about the kids. Like my biggest problem I had teaching was I was an English teacher, right? And I was a behavioural teacher, so I would get all the naughty kids. And all my kids would read at a year five level, and I would get to year nine NAPLAN, and there would be all this pressure on you to make sure they go well at NAPLAN. I'm like, these kids can't do it, so let's take time out and teach them life skills and get them from a year five to a year six reading level. But you always have principals on your back because NAPLAN's what makes the school look good. You know, and there's no support for teachers. It's it's horrible, man. The school systems don't don't even get me started. <laughs> Does my head in, hey? Uh, well, at least you don't have anyone squawking in your ear. Oh no, about. it's beautiful now, yeah. man. I did squawking. It's great. Yeah. Do you have any idea how many people have used your like, oh, lessons or anything? God, thousands upon thousands yeah. upon thousands. Like. Like, we have about 35 to 40 students a week normally, but we have a lot of special needs groups, schools, um, at-risk youth. And now that we're doing the NDIS stuff, that's going to shoot through exponentially. Yeah. Okay. I was just thinking, like, you know, Star Wars looks like it's just going to go on forever now in terms of the movies. It'd be pretty cool if you could see someone and be on, t- on the big screen and be like, I think that kid came through my class one day. We may one day, you know, I mean, that, that's that's going to be a five to ten year delay, yeah. so I'll start intently watching in about ten years' yeah. time and see who turns up. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks for the, uh, taking the time. It's great to hear the story. Oh, thank you for the interest. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for listening and thanks to Audio Technica. That was Luke Boyton and you can catch him on Twitter at Sons of Obi-Wan. The website is sonsofobiwan.com. You can check out the video with Jack and Luke over at youtube.com slash weare8bit along with some more of our Supernova content. And if you want to support the show, you can leave an iTunes review that always helps or you can pick up some sweet merch over at 8bit.net slash PIW. There's links there. While you're there, check out the awesome podcast content from the 8-Bit Collective. What more could you want? If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Jono himself. And until next week, keep putting in work.